Welcome back to the Countering Climate Scepticism podcast, episode two. Have you ever felt frustrated by the disinterest people seem to have in climate change? Maybe you have encountered people that downplay the seriousness of climate change, either online or in person. Have you heard people say it's natural or climate change has always happened, right? Like some kind of angry Brian Blessed. If you are anything like me, this can make you feel pretty helpless and demoralised. So this podcast is our attempt to help address this problem. We aim to provide the counter arguments in the common climate skeptics playbook and give you the basic knowledge to counter all the bollocks arguments put forth by climate skeptics. My name is John, a history teacher, and with me is my co-host, Mark, a climate researcher. How are you doing, Mark? Not too bad at all, uh, John. I'm very happy to be here. The fact that we're here for a second episode means that this podcast here is not just a flash in the pan like so many other podcasts that, you know, maybe do one episode and then evaporate out of existence. So well <laughs> done, John. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's hoping we make it to three. <laughs> yes. So uh, have you had any encounters with climate skeptics or climate denial since we last spoke then, Mark? Funny you should ask, John, because, yeah, I, unlike you, still go on Facebook <laughs> and uh on Facebook, there's this group that I, I frequent uh, and it's supposed to be you know, a discussion around climate science. But on that website, you get an abundance of deniers, skeptics who come out of the woodwork. Sometimes one even wonders if they're, they're really real people or just bots. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, so so it's, it's funny you should ask, because like last time, you know, we were looking at, you know, this the skeptic argument that half of 0.1% or not even half of 0.1% of the atmosphere is CO2, then surely that can't be doing anything in terms of warming the planet. So we dealt with this last just last week in our first episode. And hey, presto, there was a, a denier on the fa- on that Facebook group using that exact, exact same argument. Nice, nice. Uh, he was, it was take a it little- you smashed his, Take it you smashed his argument into the ground. Yes, uh, I, I, I didn't pull back. Let's just say that uh, <laughs> uh, he was he was his argument was a little bit more sophisticated. I think he was doing he, he, he tried to he tried to make it a combo of three arguments. So it started off with, you know, there's too little carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And then he then he sort of said that, like, you know, of the carbon dioxide that's currently in the atmosphere, the 420 parts per million. Only three percent of that is man-made, and I'm like, no, it isn't. It's thirty-three uh, percent, and uh, I think then he finished on uh, a point that's true. Uh, basically, that carbon dioxide only absorbs. Uh, so if you think of like light as like a, a window, yeah. the carbon dioxide only absorbs in some parts of this window, so it doesn't absorb in all parts. Okay. So he was kind of like trying to say, there's bugger all carbon dioxide, uh, only a little bit more has been put into the atmosphere and it basically doesn't block out much anyway. Therefore, it's mathematically impossible for it to be doing anything. Yeah. And so I just got you know busy on my keyboard and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> tried to cut him down to size. Uh, and I, and I used the, um, you know, our cup of coffee that we so love that yeah. revitalizes us in the morning. 
that's only 400 parts per million. And he did not like that. Yeah. John, he did not like that. One did. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was very enraged. Uh, anyway, I, I soon retreated and like a bunch of other people jumped on him. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's uh, it's funny, you know, just we were talking about it the other day and uh, it wasn't long before I encountered it in the wild. So there you go. <laughs> That's climate science one, climate denial nil. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, have, uh, what have you got lined up for us today then, Mark? So, so before... Before I get on to that, John, uh, I was just wondering, do you remember the uh, the denial ziggurat that I was talking about last week? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, do you remember the kind of the various levels or? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I remember all of them, but I remember that it it outlines the various levels of denial arguments made by climate sceptics. Yeah. Um, so if I remember correctly, uh, the first level began with the idea that the earth isn't being warmed and yeah. then it moves up through various levels of denial um so if it is being warmed it yeah. isn't man-made yes. and then but if it is man-made its impact might be limited uh, yeah. and then if its impact isn't limited well it might have some positive effects um, and then right at the very top i seem to remember well we can't do anything about it so we just shouldn't uh, is that about right? <laughs> you obviously were listening last time. Very, very good. <laughs> you, you, you've got it mostly there. Um, and uh, the reason I, I ask is because so today I'm hoping to to look at the very first level that you mentioned. So so the Earth is not warming. So that's the very sort of like you know sort of head in the sand type of type of uh, yeah. denial that you find. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, like when I when I before I started like preparing for this episode here, uh, I I was sort of thinking, you know, is this really necessary to do? Because because surely um, this type of denial, I mean, it used to be more of a thing uh, back in the day, but but surely no one now is making the argument that the Earth mm. isn't warming. It's mm. it's just too too obvious to everyone and. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in the course of making this episode, I, I've realised that it's not quite as dead as yeah. you might think. Um, and the reason why I think this is because you've got this website called Skeptical Science, right. who've uh, who've done an amazing job of uh, like countering climate scepticism, like we're doing. Uh, but they have this kind of list of denial arguments hmm. and. Uh, how to rebut each of them at different sort of levels of complexity. But they have a total of, I think it's 219 different denial arguments. Wow. Exactly. Well, at least that's 219 episodes that we can get <laughs> in the bag then. <laughs> Certainly, yes. Uh, and even then there will be more. You know, this won't be uh, exhaustive because, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm sure Pierce Corbins knows more than a thousand, but... But uh, but yes, anyway, out of these. So I went through. So, sorry, just on, on that point. Um, so I think we might have mentioned Piers Corbyn in the last episode. But I don't know if we clarified exactly why he's, he's relevant to, to the debate on climate scepticism. So, uh, yeah, Piers Corbyn. So he's Jeremy Corbyn's brother. 
Right. Uh, and he's, I guess, in the context of the UK, he's a sort of well-known uh, climate denier, right. basically. Um, I, so I, I, I once met him at a, a sort of a, a sort of a research meeting, okay. uh, and so a lot of lot of climate scientists were there to learn about climate models, um, and he he was there as well because literally you know anyone could attend, and he just spent the whole meeting trying to disrupt things and asking silly questions and so yeah he's he's <laughs> he's not very well regarded let's put it that way what a, what a waste of space yeah uh, he could be using his talents elsewhere let's just put yeah. it that way <laughs> <laughs> so, very uh, diplomatic of you <laughs> yeah, i mean like uh, <laughs> he's he's irritating but uh, but yeah anyway so uh, what were you asking you're asking about so, uh, so what we've got lined up for this week, I think. Yeah. OK, so the. Um, so I had thought that um, the argument that the world isn't warming or even that it's getting colder would be boring, unnecessary or supremely boneheaded. An argument to to deal with, uh, but it does seem like it's fairly uh it's it's still about and uh, there's also this kind of um phenomenon you can encounter when dealing with uh skeptics so you can they can bring up argument a and you mm. can then deal with that yeah then they bring up another argument argument b and then you deal with that and then once you've dealt with that they bring up argument c and then you deal with that yeah and you can imagine how this goes on, you know, until your patient runs out. Right. And then you just. But but essentially it can be a bit like just, just wear you down with bullshit. Yeah. They can wear you down with bullshit. Yes. So one has to be a little bit careful, you know, whether whether the person that's arguing with you, whether they're arguing in good faith, you know, um, because it's not illegal to bring up many arguments. But uh, some people are literally just trying to wear you out. Um but so, so this is kind of like a whack-a-mole thing. You deal with one argument and then another one pops up mm. and then you deal with that one. Uh, and another way that I kind of sometimes think about it, you know, uh, with a gun, you have a chamber, you know, like a revolver. Yeah. So you have like maybe six spaces for for arguments or, or uh, well, for a chamber, it's bullets. But yeah. as, a, as a metaphor or an analogy, uh, I'm not entirely sure which one is appropriate here. Maybe our old English teacher can can write in and tell us which one is which. But uh, but any in any case, so you uh, you have these six chambers which signify like arguments, and you you deal with argument one, argument two, you deal with that, argument three, and then what happens once they finish argument six is they then jump back to argument one, and you're like, right. hang on, already we already this. dealt. We've already yeah. covered this exactly. Um, so, so yeah. So even if you're having some sort of other debate with uh, a climate skeptic about whether or not it's economically worth dealing with climate change or something like that, you might find that suddenly there's the whole question about whether the, the Earth is actually warming comes up, and yeah. you're like, yeah. for fuck's sake, you know. <laughs> We're back here again. 
we're back here again so so well uh, at least this will make it easier in future because you'll just be able to go oh i'm just going to refer you to episode two of our podcast <laughs> exactly my thinking my thinking exactly john definitely yes do it once so you don't have to do it again yeah. <laughs> uh yes so right uh yeah so basically uh we're going to do this and let me tell you john if in case you don't listen to the rest of the episode which you will of course because you're the host <laughs> you have no choice but basically in a nutshell the conclusion is that yes it has been warming and it will probably continue to do so Uh, so before we move on to uh, the main topic then, Mark, uh, I believe you wanted to comment on some feedback. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll try and be quick because I, I do have a tendency to waffle. So so like so, you know, we are, we are novice podcasters. You know, we've just started. This is our first podcast. And so we we gave the podcast out to several people to get some feedback. And some of the feedback was that I in particular was very long winded. Uh, and uh, we decided as a result of that to trim down our introduction, uh, mm. make it a lot shorter. Um, and but in the process of doing that, I feel like we cut something out, which um, I want perhaps felt it was worth saying. Basically, uh, even though I've had um, many years of studying climate change, there is still a lot I don't know. Mm. And. From time to time, I will say things uh, and they will be wrong. But the way you so so if you're one can be so concerned with getting like everything right that one doesn't uh, say anything at all, you know. Mm. So I don't want to do that. So basically, I'm going to uh, say what I think is true. And then if uh, as people who are listening to this show uh, think there's a problem with what I've said, uh, then they can write in and then we will correct what I said, if need be, in the subsequent show. Yeah. Um, so so as, kind of as long as you're not a climate denier, in which case we'll ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, but but I, so, so we're, we're planning at the moment, at least to record four episodes and then release them. So if you do have feedback, bear with us, because it might take a while for the feedback to come through. Um, but anyhow, like so, so okay. So there was there was one of my friends who's more scientifically uh, minded. He made a very good point uh, that he was slightly annoyed at something I'd said, okay. and that was specifically that um, I, I think I I said that CO two was the most important greenhouse gas. Okay. And sorry, John, did I did I just to check here? Did did I explain what a greenhouse gas was or um explain much on that i don't specifically i mean i think my understanding is that it's it's a gas that, that um acts as a layer that that prevents um uv light from escaping back out into space is that correct so it's it's almost correct so it's it's a little it's a little bit more complicated than that because uh basically uv is coming in but what goes out then from the earth is infrared and so, okay. right. Okay. But but essentially, for the purposes of what I was meaning to say there, uh, I think you got it dead right. And the the key thing is that some gases trap heat, others don't. Okay. 
So, so oxygen and nitrogen, which make up 99% of the atmosphere, they are not greenhouse gases, mm. really. They don't really trap heat, um, but carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas and it does trap heat. So it's about the trapping heat or not trapping heat. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so I said, uh, I think I said that uh, CO2 is the biggest greenhouse gas. Right. And that's kind of a little bit incorrect, arguably. Okay. Because there is another greenhouse gas which is which has an even bigger effect. Okay. And that is water vapor. Oh right. Yeah. So essentially the uh you know, water from the, the Earth's oceans gets evaporated and then that uh it's then called water vapor. When it's in the Earth's atmosphere, and this uh, it's a little bit different to uh, carbon dioxide because it's not well mixed. So if you wherever you are on the planet, if you grab a handful of air, within it will be uh, something like 400 to 440 parts per million CO2. Mm. So it doesn't really matter kind of where you are. This is going to be the same everywhere. But with water vapor, it can vary hugely. Right. Because, as you know, water falls out of the atmosphere. Um, yes, it does. <laughs> in some places more than others. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, but but on average, if you take the average across the globe, uh, water vapor it, it has a concentration of about two thousand five hundred ppm okay. parts per million. So that's getting on for uh, seven or eight times the amount of. Uh, carbon dioxide that there is. Mm. And so did I completely get it wrong? Well, the answer to that is that the relationship between carbon dioxide and water vapour um, is kind of like um, that of a thermostat. Right. So if you were to take the amount of carbon dioxide out of the if you were to take the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and reduce it all the way down to zero the atmosphere would cool as a result yeah a cooler atmosphere uh, can hold less water in it right so the the water vapor would condense out and it would rain back into the ocean and because of this the temperature would fall even further yeah if, on the other hand, you increase the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, the Earth would warm, the atmosphere would warm a little bit, and because of that, uh, it's a physical property of gases, basically, you will get more water vapour uh, is able to be held by the atmosphere, which will then amplify the initial effect of that small increase right. in carbon so dioxide. So does that explain why, like in England, for example, that we're we're having a lot more humid, a lot more damper summers then? Um, I wouldn't like to comment specifically on that, uh, but it could well be the case that that's related. Yes. Okay. Because with, uh, I think it's something like, I'm just talking off the top of my head, but I think for every degree that the world warms, the atmosphere can hold something like 7% more water vapour. Okay. So there's going to be 
that basically the atmosphere as a whole is going to become moister yeah. with, with the increase in temperature. So that might be behind the observation that you've made. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I said it's the biggest greenhouse gas. So uh, water vapour does more of the work, but it is the carbon dioxide that controls the amount of water vapour that's there in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So does that does that make sense or yeah, a little bit? Absolutely. Right. So there is a common climate denial argument that centers around this, basically that water vapor or H2O right. uh, is so much more significant, so much more. Uh, there's there's maybe like eight molecules of uh, water vapor for every one of carbon dioxide. So because of this, they're like, well, you know, carbon dioxide is is insignificant, you know, uh, because water vapor is so much more prevalent in the atmosphere. Then, then, okay, so if you if you if you do that, if they say this, then the way you would sort of then react is you'd say, well, what's causing the warming then that we've 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 um, we've observed over the last fifty years or hundred years? Then they will basically say, either they don't think the climate has warmed. Uh, and the rebuttals to this that you can give are the ones that we're going to be moving on to later in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they will say that uh, the climate has warmed, but that the cause of it is because of the increase in the amount of water vapour. Because and, and this is true. The amount of water vapour in the atmosphere has probably increased over the uh, where we've been increasing carbon dioxide so then we might ask them so what has caused the warming then Uh, and then they will be compelled to come up with some other explanation for example the sun because the sun is you know quite a you know it's like a it's a typical argument that a denier will use uh, to explain why there's warming um so, so yeah, so you have the uh, the amount of water vapors increasing. So you uh, and the, and according to their logic, the temperature is going up because the amount of water vapors increasing. But then you have to sort of say, well, you know, what's causing the water vapor to increase? And then they they might say something like the sun. Although you could you, you could put in any different cause that they might invoke, volcanoes or whatever. Mm. Um, but then. You can then use other rebuttals to arguments like sun. So this would be the second level of the ziggurat. So, so, so that the, the, the level where they think the climate is changing, but it's not mankind. It's some other cause that's causing yeah. it. So, so, so you could, for example, if they said the sun, uh, you could say, well, you know, the stratosphere. So the layer above the troposphere, which is the part of the atmosphere we live in. Uh, the stratosphere is cooling. You know, the stratosphere wouldn't be cooling if it was the sun. So there's arguments like this. But yeah, going yeah. to now, uh, in future episodes, we'll talk all about the the kind of the second level of the ziggurat and the type okay. of arguments. Here we're just focusing on the uh, the climate isn't even changing. You know, this kind of flat out denial. It's not getting warmer or it's getting colder. Um, so more on that in future episodes does that make sense yeah absolutely great 
uh, I guess next then, Mark, we're uh, we're going to move on to the main part of the show. So yep. um, I, I hand over to you. Right. So first of all, John, uh, a little question, a little hypothetical situation. OK. If I was to give you godlike powers and, <laughs> and and you were able to move the, the earth closer to the sun, uh, what do you expect would happen? Um, OK. Um, just thinking about what I might do with my godlike powers. Uh, but no, I no, guess, no, John. Uh, uh, OK, I'll keep focused on the question. Uh, so <laughs> the... Uh, I guess there'd be a, an increase in in the intensity of UV rays. I, the, the the planet's year would be shorter because mm -hmm. um, we'd be orbiting the Earth, uh, orbiting the sun quicker, um, yeah. and therefore there'd be shorter seasons as well. Uh, the temperatures would be hotter. Uh, it, climates would become more extreme, uh, particularly around the equator. Um, is, there, is there anything else I, I missed? Yeah, that's not a bad answer. Some some interesting interesting things in there, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I hadn't even thought about what might happen to the seasons, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I could com comment on some of that, but I guess in terms of like climate, um, I think you mentioned that temperatures would get hotter. Hmm. So so uh, temperatures of what would get hotter? Uh... Well, I presume the the just the air temperature, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So definitely one would presume that the the air temperature would increase. Oh, and I guess maybe the water temperature as well. Yes. So oceans and seas. Correct. Yeah. So um, I guess when we're talking about like uh, the climate has warmed by by 1.1 degrees since uh, 1850. Mm. or something like that um what we're kind of talking about there is the average surface air temperature mm. and so this this air temperature is measured i think between 1.5 meters off the ground and two meters off the ground so it's okay. kind of like where your head is essentially um but yeah you're right there's there's uh, there's also the ocean temperatures uh, as well okay so what do you think would happen to the ice? Uh, it would melt and then that would cause sea levels to rise. Correct. So I said before. Uh, and um, so what ice might we be most scared about melting? Uh, well, uh, when when we were over in the States, one of the uh, one of the most dangerous uh, mountains at the moment on the mm -hmm. west coast which is part of the uh, volcanic uh, rim uh, the yeah. ring of fire going around the pacific uh, was is mount rainier um, i like to say mount rainier because um, <laughs> it's the same surname as me no relation um, but uh, that's considered one of the most dangerous mountains uh, or, or uh, volcanoes uh, in the Pacific uh, Rim because it has a high degree of, of glacier ice and the, the consequences of a, a volcanic eruption would be that it would cause all of that uh, superheated uh, glacier ice to melt and then would cause massive flows uh, down mm. from the mountain having big impacts on, on uh, human settlements nearby. So I'm presuming, is it, is it mountain 
snow and, and ice on, on mountains that would be the most dangerous? So I suppose um, in relation to like the people who live in the vicinity of Mount Rainier, was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, certainly for them, the, the most dangerous ice to melt would be the the, the ice, uh, what, we, what we know as glaciers. So there's yeah. the ice that's on top of mountains. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, sea level rise, uh, it's probably not that significant. Okay. Uh, in fact, you could take probably all the glaciers across all the mountains across the whole mm. world. And uh, I don't have the figures to hand, but I don't think they would cause that much of a noticeable rise in sea level. Mm. But there are other sorts of ice in the world that would and so i was just wondering do you have any idea um would it maybe be the antarctic permafrost then um so 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 in antarctica uh it's i don't think they have permafrost so i think okay. permafrost is um so when i think of permafrost they tend to think of the sort of the northern hemisphere the northern bit of russia and okay. so basically you have soil um and underneath the soil, there's groundwater. I might be getting this a little bit wrong, but essentially you have like frozen water underneath the ground. Okay. So you'd be walking along the top of it and it would be like soil, presumably. You might even have trees growing out of it. But there's there's ice there that could melt. And that's that's permafrost. Okay. Um, so Antarctica, you don't have permafrost because it's okay. just kind of ice. But you're you're right that. And a lot of the uh, the ice in Antarctica, there's a lot of ice there. Mm. And if I think if that would all melt, I think it would, which is which is not we're not we don't think that's likely to happen. But just say in some god awful situation, all of it melted all at once, uh, global sea levels would rise by something like 60 meters. Wow. Which would be horrendous. <laughs> No, no more Netherlands. Yeah. No, no, no. The, the Netherlands is well and truly gone. <laughs> you know, well before sixty meters. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. So so that that's the the biggest source of ice that could contribute to um, uh, sea level rise. But there's a second uh, contender, and any idea where that might be? Uh, I presume then the Arctic. Yes. So um, Greenland. Okay. So Greenland is like a you know, uh, a sort of an island, essentially. And on top of it, it's got this huge uh, lump of ice. Mm. And I can't quite remember how thick it is, uh, but it's uh, it's a lot of ice. And and Greenland, uh, I think, has something like seven metres worth of sea level uh, of ice. If that all melted, then sea level would wow. for seven metres. Um, the, the Arctic... Um, itself has a lot of sea ice and sea ice is very important uh, but even if all the sea ice melts it won't add to uh, uh, sea level and the reason for that is if you can imagine I don't, I don't know if this analogy quite holds but if you have like a an alcoholic drink like a like a gin and tonic mm. and you have an ice cube in there in the water the water displacement cancels each other out does it Exactly. Yes. So. So, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a bit of a, a tangent, but <laughs> essentially, I think. Yeah. So so there's a lot of if we move the, the earth towards the sun, a lot of ice would melt, basically. Right. 
So what sort of things do the climate sceptics and denialists and contrarians, what do they say in relation to this? Right. OK, so um, there are many things that they say. It, it's, it's, it's quite so, again, from uh, sceptical science, uh, I came up with 35 out of 209 or 219 arguments there were related to the earth is not warming or mm. the earth is cooling down. Um, and so I went through them all and I kind of categorized them into different types of uh, arguments. and. I came up with like five subtypes, or actually six subtypes. Okay. So the, so the first one was uh, just flat out denial. There's been no change. It's cooling. And I had nine of those. Uh, the second subtype was we just don't know. Uh, we don't have the data or our data is poor quality. Right. Five of those. Um, there's one type, type number three, which was it has since so it was warming, granted, but it stopped warming a while ago. Right. Four of those. Uh, there's the type of argument for number four. Uh, some places or some years are cooler than they were on average. Therefore, this disproves the, the climate is warming. Right. Uh, so four of those. Did, did you understand that one or do you want me to? Go yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, that's like we talked about last week when we talked about the, the idea of climate being a measure over time rather than yes. just a snapshot. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then so the two final ones, uh, subtype five and subtype six were uh, misleading arguments. Uh, and then the final type were just flat out factually incorrect. Right. So there's a fair amount to go through there. Um, so what I did is I selected out like a few characteristic arguments. Okay. And then what we can do is we can we can sort of look at the argument and then go to uh, the data. Uh, so so, so if, for example, if someone says uh, the earth hasn't warmed, then the way to sort of uh, deal with that is to look at, well, what does the data say? OK. And so uh, that's uh, what we'll do uh, just for anyone who wants to. So so I guess this will be a lot of like John and I looking at different figures that we can both see. Uh, so I, I encourage anyone who's interested to uh, look at our uh, PowerPoint with all these different figures. And we'll put it in the show notes uh, if you want to study yourself. OK, so uh, here's, here's I think it's about eight. I ended up handpicking. Uh, so the first one uh, from the, the subtype of flat out denial or it's cooling. There's no change. Uh, an example might be, uh, well, like literally like the, the subtype says, climate the climate is not warming or it's even cooling and so if we look at uh slide four and john tell me what you see in the upper graph 
So we've got uh, years along the bottom. So it covers the years 1850 through to just beyond 2000. And it is showing us how temperatures have increased faster over land than over the oceans. So it shows two lines. We've got a red line showing the uh, temperatures of land and oceans showing uh, the temperatures in blue. And it shows that there's been an increase since 1850 in the oceans of 0.88 degrees and in land 1.59 degrees. Brilliant. Very expertly explained. I'm sure anyone listening at home will have quite a vivid picture based on that. Um, yes, so I don't really think there's that much that I can add. But I mean, like just looking at this, John, would you would you say the temperatures are going down or are they no, flat? I mean, it, it very clearly shows that like like we've seen with like when you look at population graphs uh, since the industrial period begins, that, that you see this kind of exponential increase over the course of the 20th century in population. And it's showing a very similar uh, kind of pattern when it comes to the temperatures here. So we're seeing that it, it kind of stays relatively stable across the 1800s. But as soon as we hit 1900, that that increase increases. And then since about probably about 1960, 1970, then it, it starts to much more rapidly increase. Yes, uh, well explained. Uh, I, I I just hope that the temperature rise isn't exponential because <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that would not be fun. <laughs> um, but but yeah, certainly um, you can see that temperatures have gone up. And if I if you look to the the figure below, so the figure below that one, uh, you can you can see that. So so there's there's two panels, and if you look at the top one, you can see that there's like four different temperature series, and they they're mm. sort of written above the graph. So you've got um, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but had crude. 5.0. So these are these are basically four different uh, centers across the world. Uh, yeah. Hadkrut is my old university, University of mm -hmm. East Anglia. And uh, they have all independently attempted to uh, produce temperature records over this period. And so when you put them all together, you see that there's a good not perfect, but there's a good agreement between the four different yeah, yeah. data sets. And it's quite interesting where it varies, because mm. uh, I presume the, the wider the gap is, it's the more variance they have in whether they agree or not. And it seems yeah. like the, the biggest variance is around the 1940s, the 1950s. Yes. So you're talking about that spike uh, above yeah. 1940. Yeah. So the so the, so the thing about um climate is that different things do impact upon it uh and so it's not it's not merely like we're saying carbon dioxide is the only thing that influences climate mm -hmm. so so for example uh you you can get um sort of volcanoes pretty big volcanic eruptions that go off mm -hmm. and that can lead to a temporary cooling of the climate if the volcano is oh, big enough. Okay. You've an another thing that's quite perhaps relevant for this temperature series here is that um, 
you know, when we burn coal, we typically produce a lot of pollution. And one of the, the funny things about the, the soot or the sulfur dioxide that we produce from this pollution is that uh, it actually kind of reflects away sunlight. Okay. So you've got this funny thing going on, perhaps, whereby if you burn a lot of coal, ultimately it will mean that the, the temperatures on planet Earth go up. But locally, where you're producing all of that soot, you might actually be getting a cooling effect. Right. And so, so for example, like I think uh, one of the things that skeptics like to leap on in this temperature time series is if you look between uh, 1940 and 1970. Yeah, there's a dip. Yeah. Yeah, or, or at the very least, it's kind of like flat. You know, there's a bit of variability, but it, you could argue that it's nothing changed for 30 years. And so this could have been to do with uh, the fact that our, the amount of soot we were producing was larger, was the, the effect of that was swamping the effect of the CO2. Right. So, as our, so, so eventually, like as we burn coal, we got cleaner coal to burn. So we, we produce less and less soot. Yeah. But we keep burning more coal. And so then ultimately, maybe what happened is the carbon dioxide effect won out again by about okay. the 1970s. So it's so essentially there are there are many things that can impact a temperature record like this. Um, but so well, the other the other thing to mention is that you also get something called um, internal variability in the climate system. So you get, have you heard of a, a phenomenon called uh, El Nino? Yeah, I think we, we mentioned it last week, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you remember about it or anything at all? Or? That it's a, a, a cycle between El Nino and La Nina um, yeah. cycles of um, above average temperatures and below average temperatures. Is it something to do with the, the Pacific weather systems causing a change in temperature? Yes. Yeah. That, that's not a bad explanation at all. Yeah. So you're right. So it's it's essentially that the, there are some years where a particular part of the equatorial Pacific Ocean, it's the sea surface, is a lot warmer than average. And that's called the El Nino. And then on other years, that particular part of the ocean is colder than average. And on El Nino years, you find that the Earth is a lot warmer than it would be on average. And in La Nina, we kind of get a little bit of a cooler Earth. And so this happens um, three to seven years. Uh, it's not regular, but it means that you get this kind of variability mm. within the climate system. Um, so even if there is this longer term carbon dioxide uh, effect, uh, from year to year, you can go down, you can go up. But if you look at the long, the big picture, you zoom out. You can see that, uh, yeah, that 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 this is the bigger thing overall. But okay. but yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot in in that time series of temperatures. So, um, but yeah, so that that's that's some background. So if I, if I move to with you to slide three, okay. So uh, this is the same graph. Uh, 
also so maybe you could describe it a little bit so which one have we got here is this the 12 ky temp is it yeah okay right so this one it looks like it's it's a graph breaking down human history going down along the bottom from uh, 10,000 BC all the way up to 2000 AD or CE, uh, the Christian era. And it kind of splits it up into three phases. So it looks at the global surface temperature um, in, in kind of prehistoric times. So up until the medieval period, I think we're looking there around the year 1000 AD. And it looks like there's this gradual significant increase in global temperature and then decrease again. So that looks like what might be maybe a, a natural rise and fall in, in global surface temperature. Then we see, but obviously that's a very condensed period of time. So that's like 11,000 years where we're yeah. seeing this rise and fall. Then it kind of kind of flat lines maybe gradually gets a little bit colder between 1000 AD through to 1800 which you know being a history teacher I know coincides with uh, what what was known as the the mini ice age uh, if you see any kind of Victorian pictures of London and and you'll see people doing ice skating on the Thames and things like that because it used to freeze over in mm. the winter and then from 1900 we can see under the industrial area that it increases again. Um, and this, this graph is showing that over the last 50 years, global temperatures have increased at a rate unprecedented in at least the last 2000 years. Very well explained, John. That's, uh, I don't think really there's much I can add. Um, I guess I just wanted to show you this graph um, just in case people were interested in what was the temperature like prior to uh, 1850 which is where we typically start from. Um, I guess if you, you can go back to slide two, the slide before that, uh, and you have, uh, basically it goes back even further. And so here you're going back to the 60 million years ago. So if, if anyone's just interested in what uh, temperature was doing over that period, you can, you can, see, you can see in, this, in uh, this graph in figure two. So we're seeing that like around the around the time of the end of the dinosaurs, that uh, things were significantly warmer. And I presume oh. like because when we're looking at about 60,000 um, or 60 million years ago there, uh, the fact that it's increasing again, I guess that's the impact of the, the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs that led to a very quickly cooling planet, I presume. So you're asking why was it so damn hot? At the time of the dinosaurs, well, we, the, we we can see here it's it's hot at the time of the dinosaurs, but actually after they after they go extinct, it increases even more. Um, so I presume that dip is actually showing that's the point when the meteor had hit and the temperature had dipped, and then it's increasing again after that as the planet recovers from from the meteor. So this is where I I think my expertise runs out. Uh, I mean I think I. I think it was uh, 65 million years ago that the yeah, dinosaurs yeah. went extinct. So it will be slightly before the beginning of this graph. Okay, yeah. But that, that's a very that's a very interesting question actually. Like, what what did you know? I mean, what happened to global temperatures after you know before and after the the meteor hit? Um, maybe I'll, maybe someone will know more about that. If you do, please email in. We'd we'd, we'd love to hear hear about that. That mm -hmm. sounds like a very interesting topic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure, to be honest, why it was much hotter. I mean, 
I mean, like that sort of when I've looked at these sorts of things before, you've had situations where you, you might have had like, um, you know, the earth might have been in a state where there was like literally no ice, you know, in it at all. So there would be no ice at Antarctica, no ice in uh, Greenland. Uh, the continents would have looked very different. Um, but yeah, you can. It was a very, very different climate back then. And one's one that the dinosaurs were used to um, until, you know, the well, presumably it sounds like they're fairly certain now that it was a, a meteor that came and wiped them all out. And mm. that probably caused havoc with the climate um, and, yeah, led to their extinction. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, so that's that's the last just in case anyone's interested in like the how this all fits in with previous climates. Um, I guess the thing to stress again is that it's not so much the, you know, Earth has been much hotter before, but it, it's not necessarily the absolute temperature that makes us so concerned with climate change and global warming right now. It's the the rate of uh, yeah. change. Um, I mean, just to point this out, if you look, do you see, uh, so 60 million years ago, um, you had like a you have like, I don't know if you can see it. It's like this red spike just before you get to the peak. Yeah. So, oh, hang on. Have I got this right? Oh, yeah, maybe it just shoots up. So for, for our listeners, what we're seeing here is that 60 million years ago, the temperature of the Earth was looking at to be about uh, 10 degrees warmer than it is today. Uh, and that actually it increased all the way up to beyond beyond 20 uh, just all of a sudden uh, for, for one very brief period. Yes. So so that 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 event is, is something I studied briefly at university and it's called the PTM. OK. Um, and it's a bit mysterious as to why it happened. But essentially you had this uh, enormous change in the climate very suddenly. And now you can see on the graph, it's just like this instantaneous spike and then it comes back down again. So what I do remember about the the PETM was that even though it was like very, very fast um, on a geological timescale, <laughs> it was something like still something like 40 times slower than the rate at which we're currently changing the climate now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a, that was a bit of an eye opener. You know, um, we're really causing some changes. OK, uh, so right. Next argument. Sea level is not rising. Is sea level really not rising? Let's take a look. Uh, can I get you to uh, move to uh, slide 16, John? Um, so, so, you, so here you've got like four graphs. Can I get you to first describe what's going on in the bottom left graph? Oh, bloody hell, complicated one. Um, <laughs> things are getting worse. That's what I can work out. OK, again, it's it's showing 1850 till now um, and it's the global mean. So the global average sea level in meters mm -hmm. uh, and it's gone from what's considered zero to plus 0.25 pretty much by now. Mm -hmm. So an increase of a, a quarter of a meter. Correct. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what it shows. And I guess it's you've you've got various different people with their sea level reconstructions. Um, so essentially, it's like across the world, you've got different research groups trying to 
figure out what sea level was like at different points in the past. And so they work out independently what they, they think it is, and then you, they put them together and you see that uh, you get a fair amount of agreement, but not perfect agreement. Mm. But, um, and, and obviously those, those have such a dramatic impact on, on low-lying communities and things like that, don't they? I mean, I've been seeing recently that like Pacific Island nations and yeah. those that are based on like atolls, like I was doing some reading on this earlier this week, like kind of islands that are in, in a kind of circular shape or a semicircular shape that have yeah. a lot of, um, of um, reefs, they, they are almost completely being just completely disappearing when there's even a slight increase in, in sea level. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, really sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's I guess the sea level rise is kind of like an average phenomenon, but you can get like variations in the, the phases of the moon. Uh, yeah. So so if you have like um, a spring tide, uh, the, the sea level will be higher than usual. Um, but so and then when you get a neap tide, uh, you know, the, the, the moon lines up with the earth and the sun in such a way that sea level is lower than average. So you get this kind of like monthly oscillation in the height of the sea level uh, in particular places. Uh, but of course, that 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 is that comes on to an average. So if you have like so 150 years ago, if you had a spring tide, you might be sorry, I don't know exactly, but it might be the case now that if you have just a normal tide, that would be equivalent to a spring tide back in 1850. Hmm. Now, if you get a spring tide on top of the, the 25 centimeter rise, it's going to be super spring tide compared to yeah. Yeah. spring tide at the. So, so the way the way I've, I've seen like different people, you know, they might be all right for like part of the lunar cycle. Um, but as soon as it starts to be spring tide, then they just get menaced by the water. Yeah. 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 So and, and even in Wales, someone sent me a video the other week uh, of a, a car park in Wales by the coast. And it was just absolutely being battered by waves from the sea. There were cars, even like vans being like thrown around by the waves. Uh, so, yeah. Was that during a storm or something? Or uh, Yeah, it was. It was. But I think it was something that had, had never been seen before. Damn. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds sounds terrific. Watch some teenagers being taken out by waves. It's quite funny. It's quite a funny thing to watch. <laughs> John, I know you're a teacher, and you may harbour animosity towards certain. Nah, uh, of course not. No. no, no, no. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, so, so not related at all to uh, finding it amusing, teenagers. Um, yeah. So, 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 does it look like sea level is not rising? Uh, no, it looks the opposite. Yeah. Um, so essentially, I guess one of the annoying things is like, you know, someone can say whatever they like, you know, and it takes a couple of seconds to say sea level's not rising or the temperature's not cha changing. And, you, and you know, if you don't have to your hand the data that shows that it is, then, you know, like it, it, it sometimes it's a bit difficult to counter them, you know, like at that, at that moment. So, and, uh, so you're you're recommending carrying these diagrams around with you at all times in case you come across any climate skeptics, just like oh we'll have a piece of this. That's exactly what I'm recommending, John. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's more that 
you can spot bollocks when you see it. So when yes. someone says they're not, you can say, well, actually, if you go and look at the data, which is what, you know, any, you, you can't, you know, any, any Tom, Dick and Harry can't have an opinion about this sort of thing. You know, like you, have to, you have to look at who, who's in a yeah. position to know and you can direct yeah. them. If there's anything you can take away from this podcast, it's that we teach you how to spot bollocks. <laughs> yes, uh, but there is an awful lot to spot. So uh, uh, it's no it's no mean feat. Uh, and it keeps reinventing itself in different uh, different uh, shades and variations on bollocks. It's just it's just uh, never ending bollo- bollocks. Uh, bollocks everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So before we go, did you mention that you had another positive uh, climate news story without the hopium? Yeah, 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 I I have. I've uh, found an article uh, this week uh, about uh, the state of Montana over in the States, uh, up Mm -hmm. in the north. Uh, 16 young people uh, aged 5 to 22 have, uh, over the last couple of weeks, won a legal case arguing that the state of Montana had violated their constitutional rights by promoting fossil fuels. You know, I mean, this is really, really exciting. You know, like being a being a teacher myself, it's great when you see just like young people getting stuck in. It's it's awesome the things that they can achieve. And so to give a bit of context, Montana is a, a major coal and gas producing state. Yep. And this court case uh, ruled that a, a stable climate is included in your right to a clean and healthy environment, which is one of the stipulations for for state laws. Mm -hmm. And so it also overruled a clause in Montana that said when introducing new coal or or gas or any kind of oil things in the state, uh, there was a clause that said that climate impact did not need to be taken into consideration. And this ruling overrules that right so you know this really is is the the beginning of of quite a game changer when it comes to uh like climate change in in the law uh because it for one it showed that trials can make a difference they do change things and because this one has been successful that's going to go on to get the ball rolling and, and encourage other states and, and other countries to, to do the same, to try and kind of push these things through the courts. Uh, it's also great for, for the climate scientists as well, because the court rulings are affirming climate science. Mm. They're basically just saying, yep, this science stands up and we are now building that into uh, our legal outcomes as well. And um, it, it seems like the uh, the the defence uh, case was was a bit haphazard. Um, you know, they were not referencing uh, anything <laughs> of, of kind of thorough science to back up what they were saying. Um, and that, but what they didn't actually bother to do in their defence is argue against the existence of climate change, right. or, and this is a critical one, or that climate change was not human caused. Mm. which you know really is significant basically saying that they knew that their defense would not stand up in court if they used the argument that oh climate change isn't happening or it wasn't us that's done it yeah. um 
so that that really is is quite a game changer and it basically uh, kind of reinforces the idea that climate denier cases are just being thrown out of court now there okay. have been some cases that have attempted to go through where the judges has, has thrown it out of court before it's even it's even got to trial because they're basically just saying there's there's no evidence that climate denying uh, can be something that we can can take a, a legal uh, legal action against, uh, which is which is really reassuring. That's good. I, I I really I mean one wonders. I'm not an expert on American politics on you know the judiciary in America by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, but I I just wonder is this going to be the sort of positive change? You know, say say for example that Trump gets in. Uh, at the next election in the US, uh, which is not impossible. Um, you know, Trump is climate sceptical, to say the least. You know, mm. I, I just hope that these sorts of changes uh, are sort of, I guess, immune to whoever's in power. So I hope that, mm. you know, a change of uh, government doesn't mean then that suddenly these things get overruled back, if you see what I mean. Um, well, one uh, one of the, the major uh, things about American government is that state law is separate to federal law, ah, yes, uh, yes. and they are they are fiercely protective of infringements at the federal level on state law. Um, okay. So that's that's a positive in in favour. It also means that if you want to have changes happen across the country that aren't introduced at the federal level, it means they have to happen fifty times in order to go through every single state. Um, the the other side of things, and this is something that I'm not completely sure on, I don't know if it only applies to the Supreme Court at the federal level or if it affects uh, state courts as well, uh, but they have a system of precedent, which mm -hmm. basically means that in order to pass a new ruling in favour of an issue that has been debated or gone through the courts previously, they have to look at the outcomes of previous court cases which then informs the decision for future cases. So, for example, you know, like on a completely separate issue, but everything that's been going through the courts about um, abortion rights in okay. the States, um, Roe versus Wade, which was that massively, massively important ruling at the federal level that basically said that it was women's right to be able to access abortion, that, it was so important because it also became what all subsequent laws were referred back to. And it's only really been because of this catastrophic ruling by the Supreme Court recently that's that's overruled that. Um, I don't know if the same system applies at state level. If it does, it means that any attempts to try and rule the opposite direction have to look back to that case that's just gone through and, and see what was done there, which could be really good if that is the case. Um, but I don't know how all that works. But yeah, okay. yeah, so. Well, maybe maybe if any of our viewers are from the US and they're, they're more au fait with the ins and outs yeah. of the federal and uh, what is it? What's the other one? The regional state level. State level. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they can tell us, you know, where, where we're, <laughs> what, what, what you were not sure about. Yeah, absolutely. OK, so I think that pretty much has us it for today with our uh, with what we are going to be covering. So what uh, to wrap things up, then that's it for, for this week. And thank you very much for listening. You can find a link to all the materials we have referenced in this episode in our show notes. 
We will be back next week with the second half of this episode where we're going to continue to myth bust the remaining arguments claiming that global warming is not happening. If you want to know more about countering climate scepticism, check out our website at ccspod.podbean.com. So that's ccspod.podbean.com. If you've enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show further, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's now known, or support us at Patreon at Countering Climate Scepticism. Uh, That's scepticism spelt with a K instead of a C. So that's it from me. Goodbye from me, John Rainier. And goodbye from me, Mark Prosser. Thanks, Mark. So we look forward to seeing you next week. And I'm going to leave you with uh, the words of, of Barack Obama. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. See you next week. Mm